It's very good to see everyone here this morning. I hope you're happy to be here. I am. It is a wonderful thing for brothers and sisters in Christ to come together to worship our God. Last month, I said that I was going to try to bring a series of lessons, three to be exact, on this verse. And this is the second installment of that, and we're going to talk about love, mercy. The scripture says, He hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee. I think this verse is important because if this is required of us, then we better know what it says. But to do justly, and we talked about that last month, is taking his word and understanding it and understand how to deal with it correctly, to do justly, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. These things are required. Now, they're required of those who believe. They require of you and I as children of God. I don't believe he's speaking here to the people out in the world. This is more specific. This is things that you and I should be trying to do as believers in God through his son. Now, first of all, our God, fortunately, is full of mercy. And the scriptures are very plain, and there are many scriptures that fill this idea out for mankind. As we read in Psalms 103, the 17th verse, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear Him. Again, to you and I that believe in Him. And His righteousness to the children's children. We are the children's children. Christ was here 2,000 years ago, give or take. And we are the children's children because of our belief. In Psalms 107, the first verse says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now the psalmist David, I believe here, was speaking of the fact that he had been victorious, him and the Israelite people, over all the nations that were around them because God was at their hand and they defeated the enemy and they were redeemed. You and I as brothers and sisters in Christ have been redeemed by the Savior. And we have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Our enemy is not those that fought the children of Israel. Our enemy is death. Our enemy is sin. Our enemy is the devil. And our Savior has redeemed us from that because of the mercy of God. Isaiah 55 and 7 says, Let the weak, wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Our God is a God of mercy who wants to give us mercy. And the scripture here says, The wicked need to change their ways. The unrighteous needs to change their thoughts. Because if we will do them, then he will have mercy on us. He will abundantly pardon. In Micah 7 and 18, who is God like you? Who is a God like you? Pardon iniquity 
and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of, the her of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. Who will, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Who is a God like our God? If we got what we deserved, where would we be? But it says he pardons our iniquities. And he does it because he delights in mercy. He loves mercy. He delights in it. As I was studying up on this lesson, I came across a, a thought that had been in front of me forever. And, and maybe it's obvious to you. Maybe it just wasn't to me. But in Exodus, we find the description there of God told Moses how to build the things for the tabernacle. And for, you know, the tent part. And for the inner part. And for all of those vessels and things to use to worship him are given in the description there in Exodus. And in Exodus 25 and 16, And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. One of the things he told him to build was a box. And in the box, I'm going to put the testament. I'm going to put the laws. We're going to put the laws of the things that you are to do. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubic and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubic and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work shall they... Thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Now here is a, an artist's rendition of what man thinks it looks like. Now there are a lot of details about making the Ark of the Covenant and making the mercy seat. And it, you can't go from this to say this is exactly what it looked like. But we know the size and we know it was made of gold. And it, it looks something like this. Give us an idea. But this is the point I want to make in Exodus 25 and 21. God said, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. It was the lid. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, the old law. These are the things you have to do. Thou shalt do and thou shalt not do. And there I will meet with thee in the holies of holies, speaking to Moses, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I give thee in the commandment unto the children of Israel. God said, here's a box, and in this box is the Old Testament, my testament to you, the things you should do and the things you shouldn't do. And God knew that all man was going to fail, could not do all that was there. So he put a lid on the box, the mercy seat, and it says he will be above the mercy seat between his law and mankind was the mercy seat. Look what we find in, in Rome's, Roman, the third chapter, the 23rd verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a perpetuation through the faith in his blood and declares righteousness for the remission of sins that are, pa that are passed through the forbearance of God. Propitiation. We've heard that described as taking our place. We had that described as petitioning God for us. 
Christ in heaven doing that. The Greek word, hilasterion, as best I can do, when you look up the Greek word in Strong's, one of the things you find is it was the literal name of the lid of the box. The mercy seat. God, in his mercy, when he looks down on us, the mercy seat is there. Jesus Christ. He is between God and the laws and our shortcomings. He is the mercy seat. Deuteronomy 7 and 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God which keepeth commandment and mercy, I'm sorry, keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. For those of us who fear God and try our best to do what he wants us to do, he is a faithful God. And he keepeth covenant his promises and mercy to them that love him and keep his commandments forever. It's not just a thousand generations. It means all the time. So let's talk about loving mercy. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, we read here of an account for it says that at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. Now, it wasn't corn like we think of corn on the cob because that's from the Americas and was brought back to Europe. But still, it had to be grain. I don't know whether it was wheat or barley or rye or whatever, but it was a type of grain. And his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the, the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. They were doing work. They were, I presume, taking the, the grain between their hands and rubbing them to get rid of the husk to eat the grain. And the Pharisee says, They can't do that on Saturday, on, Saturday, on the Sabbath. You can't work. What did Jesus said? Have you not read what David did when he was a hungered and they were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? What does that mean? Well, the priests do a whole lot of work on the Sabbath. They do lots of sacrifices. They do lots of things in the old law that was to worship God, and it was done on Saturday, the Sabbath. But they're not profane. They weren't sinned for that. They weren't committing sin because that was what they were supposed to do. But I say unto you, there's, in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Were the disciples committing a sin by gathering the grain and rubbing it and eating it? There's nothing in the old law that says you can't eat on the Sabbath. Were they gathering the grain to store it up so they could have it next week? No. They were feeding themselves. They were hungered. They were hungry. So he told these Pharisees, he says, you don't understand at all. He said, I'll have mercy instead of sacrifice. 
Go figure out what that means because you're trying to do the law down to the letter and you forget things like mercy. In Psalms 85 and 9, the Psalms are full of beautiful prose, beautiful poetry in words. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What is the truth? The scriptures tell us that the word is truth. His law is the truth. But it's not just the word, but it's mercy, his mercy. They've met together. If not, you and I have no, no chance of salvation. For mercy and truth have met. And look at the, the imagery of righteousness. God's righteousness, his, he is righteous and he judged righteously. But it is with peace. And they've kissed each other. So without God's mercy, we have no chance of salvation. Without God's mercy, we have no chance of pleasing him. For he is righteous, and his words are truth, and you are and I are but human. So let us be merciful. Let's talk about that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. From the Sermon on the Mount of one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We used this last month. We use it again, Matthew 23 and 23, when he talks to the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and what does he basically say? He says, you guys take the law and go down to even given a tenth of the herbs and spices you used to cook with, but you forgot stuff. You have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have done, but not to leave the others undone. Mercy is important. It's important to God. He loves mercy. And he requires us to love mercy. We all remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. Briefly, lawyer came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? In paraphrasing, Jesus said, well, it's to love, love the God with all your mind, all your heart, and all your soul. And likewise to it is to love your neighbor. Now, it was a real simple answer, very profound answer. And it probably, I don't know why the, the, the man asked the question, but it says in the scripture that to justify himself, it's too easy a question, too easy an answer. Justify himself, said, well, who's my neighbor? And that's how Jesus did this parable. We know the story. There was a man that was robbed, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road. And the priest came by and went to the other side and went on by. The Levi came by and went on the other side. And the person that the Jews hate the most, the Samaritan, it says here, taking it up in the 33rd verse, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and setting them on his beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, $130, $150 worth, and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him and whatsoever thou sendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou 
was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. The lawyer said, He that showeth mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do likewise. Now, did the Samaritan in this story know the man in the ditch? No, he had compassion on him. And for that reason, he showed him mercy, took the time, the effort that it took to do that. And Jesus said, who is the neighbor then? Well, of the three, obviously, the neighbor is the one that, took, that showed mercy on the man in the ditch. And Jesus told him, and he tells us today, go and do thou likewise. We need to be merciful. In James 2 and 12, James gives us a warning and gives us a praise. So speak ye, and so do, that they that shall be judged by the law of liberty, for he shall have judgment without mercy, that showeth no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. In the judgment day when we stand before the Lord, we will not get mercy if we have not shown mercy. That's a scary thought. But he also says that mercy rejoiceth against judgment. He also says that if we do mercy and we stand before God, God likes mercy over judgment. He would rather do mercy than judgment. In James 3 and 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy. And good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace to them that make peace. The wisdom from above is full of mercy. God is a merciful God. And his wisdom is full of mercy. Ephesians 4 and 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. How much mercy has God given us? I don't think you can put a number on it. And so we need to be kind to each other. We need to be tender-hearted. We need to forgive one another just as God has forgiven us for Christ's sake. In Romans 12 and 6, the apostle here lists gifts, and we all have gifts. Some have different, we all have different gifts. I'm going to say some have different gifts. We all got different gifts. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, or the prophecy... Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Our ministry, let us wait on a ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. That's a gift. Well, I'm going to have to forgive him because I know the Bible tells me I've got to do it, but is that mercy with love? Well, he did something to me, and I don't like it at all. And yeah, I'm going to forgive him, but I'm never going to forget it. He's never going to do that to me again. Is that loving mercy? In fact, is that even mercy? No. He says, show mercy with cheerfulness. 
If you love to play golf, you'll find excuses to play golf. If you love to fish, you'll find excuses to fish. If you love to paint, you will find excuses to paint. If you like to go shopping, you'll find excuses to go shopping. If you love mercy with cheerfulness, you'll find excuses to give mercy. You'll look for it. You'll want to give mercy to someone that you meet. That's loving mercy. It's finding ways to be merciful to anyone that passes your way. I want to finish the lesson this morning by talking about the book of Philemon. It's just one chapter. It's just one letter that the Apostle Paul sent to Philemon. Just to back back in your mind and, and re- so that you can remember what is going on here. Onesimus was a servant, I believe a slave, of Philemon and he ran away. And somehow he ended up in Rome. He ended up becoming a Christian and he ended up being the right hand man of the Apostle Paul in jail. And it says here, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in the times past was to thee unprofitable. He sure was, he ran away. But now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, that thou therefore receive him, that is mine own vows. He gave him a letter and he said, you go back. And Philemon, you read this letter. And he said, you receive this man as though he's me. He's done a lot for me. But you know what? He knew that Onesimus had done Philemon wrong. He knew that that needed to be corrected. And in conscious sake, he couldn't just keep Onesimus, even though Onesimus was doing him a lot of good, unless Philemon said it was okay. Let's read on. Whom I have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Instead of you being here, he was here. And I have kept him, but without thy mind, without my conscience, I couldn't consciously do that, because without thy mind would I do nothing, unless that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willing. He said, I can't keep Onesimus, even though I I love him, and he's working, and he's doing great things, because I know that he is yours. He's a piece of property. And I have got to have your blessing and it's okay with you for me to keep Onesimus. So he sent him back home. And he said, you know, it's not because of necessity. But I want you to do it willingly. I want you to have mercy on Onesimus. Not because I told you to. But because you want to. We keep reading. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Circumstance, he left, became a Christian, and he has come back. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, especially to me. But how much more to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. How hard was that for Philemon to read that letter and understand what he was Paul was trying to teach him to do. This Onesimus ran away. If he could be caught and brought back, the law allowed his owner to punish him even to death without any recompense from the law. 
Apostle Paul said, he's your brother. And not only that, I love him. And I want you to love him. Because he is the Lord's. If you count me, therefore, a partner, receive him as myself. He said, if you count me as your friend, you count me as one that is close, a partner, you receive him as myself. And then he says this, if he wronged thee or owe thee aught, put it on my account. And he emphasized this by saying, I'm going to write this as a letter. I'm going to swear to you. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Now, let me tell you something. Did Paul have lots of money? Did Paul have a lot of possessions? We don't know if Onesimus, when he left, Philemon took a bunch of stuff with him so that he could survive as he traveled. The Apostle Paul said, you know, if he has wronged you or he owes you anything, I will take care of it somehow. I'll do it. I will repay. And then there's the kicker. Not to mention to you that you owe me. Even your own selves besides. In the beginning of the letter of Philemon, the Apostle Paul praises Philemon for all of his work in the church and all of his steadfastness and the, his faithfulness. Where, all that, where did all that come from? It came from the gospel that was being preached by Paul. Paul evidently through the gospel converted Philemon. And Philemon is now a brother in Christ. Philemon is now working hard in the church. Philemon now has his sins forgiven. Philemon has a home in heaven. Why? Because he believed the gospel that Paul preached. And Paul reminded him, you owe me. You owe me. Our God, full of mercy, sent his son to die on the cross. That we can have our sins forgiven. We can have a home in heaven. We can be sons and daughters of God. No one else can say it any more powerfully than Christ our Savior. You owe me. You owe me. The mercy that God gave us in his son, he expects us to love mercy and to give it to everyone else. Zechariah 7 and 9. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, do justly, and, and show mercy and compassions every man to his brother. So what's required of us that believe in Christ? To do justly, to love mercy. And next time, Lord willing, we'll talk about Live humbly with thy God. This is the lesson of the morning. I hope it gives you something to think about through the week. We certainly haven't talked about the first principles at all. But it is a custom at this time to offer a song of invitation where if there's someone that is subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing a couple of verses of the song selected. <laughs>